Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. This podcast explores some of the themes highlighted in my book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and my Conscious Transitions blog. Join us as we dive into the realms of our inner worlds to ask deep questions, grow more self-trust and self-love, and embrace sensitivity, creativity, and the rhythms of the natural world. If you would like to connect with me, Victoria, and others in the Gathering Gold listener community and support the podcast to help us continue our work, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash gatheringgold. To learn more about Cheryl's course offerings, including courses to support you in breaking free from anxiety in all forms, learning to trust yourself, and becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, please visit Cheryl's website, conscious-transitions.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Cheryl is at Wisdom of Anxiety, and I am at Perennials Podcast. Thank you for listening. Okay, Cheryl. So you brought me this very interesting phrase for today's episode. You said, why don't we talk about the myth of effortless self-care? And I immediately loved that. And... I immediately had this thought that I want to, this question I want to pose to you. If you were to envision a world where Cheryl's self-care is completely effortless, Mm. are there certain adjectives that spring to mind about how you would describe that version of Cheryl? Or is there a way that you envision her living every day? Um, What does that represent to you? What would Cheryl's ideal self-care look like in an effortless way? Yeah. If self-care really just was totally effortless, Mm -hmm. what does that conjure up for you? Mm. What a great question. So it conjures, the feeling it conjures is one of joy and flow and ease and sort of like I see have this image of myself wearing very flowy clothes and sort of dancing through a day of ideal self-care and Mm -hmm. um, happily getting out of bed, doing my morning practices not having to fight or push through that energy of resistance. So more of the sense of joyfully coming into my studio and doing what I do in the mornings, some mornings, not all mornings, um, easily making the food that my body seems to require to feel best. Not resisting the evening practices that I know fill my well and make me feel, help me to feel grounded and regulated. So I do these things. I do the practices, and I'm sure we'll get more into that as we move into this episode, this hour together. But, you know, even as I'm saying that, Victoria, there's, there is some part of me that even though I might long for more ease, more of an effortless, flowy experience with self-care, and I do have that in some ways, the habits that are just in because they've been in for decades, and I think we can talk about why some of those habits are easier to implement. But there's something about the resistance itself that I do think is important to this conversation. Mm. And so it sounds nice in one way to be effortless, but there's something to me that is important about 
pushing against that energy of resistance, I think because I feel so deeply in my body and knowing that that is how we grow, that that's how we're born into the world. That's how a baby is born is by pushing up against resistance, right? It's our, it's our entrance. It's all of our transitions. It's our exit, right? That there's, that there's this other energy field, this other force that is part of the plan. Now, that's more of an internal force. So I think what we're going to shine a light on in this episode are some of the more external, societal, cultural, systemic forces that make self-care more challenging than it should be um, and create often a sense of guilt, a lot of guilt in people because there's this idea of self-care should be effortless. We have all the information at our fingertips. We all know, sort of, we mostly <laughs> know, but then there's this all this contradictory information out there about <laughs> what to eat and what not to eat and what to drink and what not to drink and how to move your body and how not to move your body. <laughs> And how oh to my work gosh. and how not to work. How to work and not work and, and rest and not rest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is like the word you used when we were talking about this before is maddening. It is maddening. Mm -hmm. It is really a mind F. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are those external factors which are incredibly confusing information-wise, and then there are other external factors that do not facilitate effortless, natural, easy self-care that I don't think are helpful, that I don't think are forces that we should be asked to push up against. I don't right. think they serve us. Right. So that's different from the internal force of resistance our fundamental laziness that we all carry, those places I think there is value and benefit that live inside everybody. But the external ones, mm-mm, I, I, they don't think those serve us. Right. Yeah. It's funny because it's almost like that word resistance, there's like the other definition of resistance, the more external, like resisting. Mm-hmm a regime or resisting, you know, a force, an external force that you're like, no, this is not okay, yes. you know? And there's a lot in the self-care culture nowadays that's worth questioning and possibly resisting because a lot of it is actually baked in like patriarchal ideas about what it means to be a woman or a man or, you mm. know, um, like being slim, being small. Um, it's about mm -hmm. stuff to buy, like co a commodified version of self-care. And I think that's all worth <laughs> resisting and questioning. Yes. For me, like I, I gave myself that same little thought exercise of like, okay, if, if I had no effort around self-care, what do I imagine? Mm. And so much of it, like the words that came to me were discipline, energy, and optimism. Like those are mm. all things that I feel like I struggle with. But a lot of like the images that I would have of myself, like waking up at dawn and going for a run and working at a standing desk that I don't even own and, you know, <laughs> and drinking a green smoothie for breakfast or whatever – are like based on a body that I don't have, mm. you know, a circadian rhythm that I don't have, mm. <laughs> desk equipment that I don't have. Like basically mm. <laughs> it's these images that I feel like have been kind of fed. And even though yes. there are these universal categories, like we all need food and water and movement and rest and social connection and these different things, the actual expression of that, the proportions and the priorities and the way that that looks for people is going to be so different 
Mm-hmm. And, and yet there's like this very filtered, curated, you know, mm. just buy it for a $9.99 version that mm. almost like just the phrase self-care makes me cringe a little bit now because of what it's been distorted into when in actuality, it's really like asking yourself at any given moment, what do I need right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And usually it's not, usually it's not really something you could buy, although things like healthcare and whatnot cost money, but it's not like, well, I just need that face mask and then I'll have taken care of myself. Yes. I think it's worth expanding a little bit on what we mean by self-care. Yeah. What is the definition of self-care to us? How would you define it? The way that I would define it is, I think, really simply asking myself, what do I need and how can I give that to myself or find the help and support to receive it? Mm. I noticed this thing where... In 2021, in particular, I was just working like constantly Mm. between my job, my nine to five job, and then freelance work on top of it, and then applying to graduate school. Like, I would be on my laptop from 8 a.m. to like 2 a.m., and I would Mm. be horizontal on the couch, like editing something. And I started realizing that. If I'm horizontal, I probably shouldn't be working anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like my mind would be racing. And if mm. I actually said, what do I need right now? Clearly I needed a break mm-hmm. or I needed sleep. But there were so many storylines to swoop in and tell me to just push through. Mm. And then I would try to go to sleep and I couldn't fall asleep. Because even though I was exhausted, I was mentally buzzing because I hadn't slowed down all day. Mm -hmm. And physically, I hadn't even really moved my body. So I couldn't sleep. Like the harder I worked, the less I could sleep. Yes. And so to me, self-care, it wasn't about spraying lavender spray in the room and, and putting on a, you know, like a calming nighttime meditation it was I had to step back and say this is completely unsustainable and unmanageable. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do any tiny thing. I had to actually change the whole the whole system. thing. Not yes. the whole like not again that like it wasn't a, a complete quit everything and stop ever. It was but I had to make like bigger changes. Mm-hmm. So to me like. I don't know, my mind has been on, yes, there's the incremental, like, I notice I'm hungry, I need food, so let me stop and eat before I try to do something else. But there's also, like, what is the current system that I'm living in? Is it sustainable? Is it, am I enjoying my life at all? Am I able to attend to these basic needs? And if not, Mm. how can I change things? Right. So there's the micro moments of self-care, moment by moment, the incremental, what's happening in this moment, tuning in, checking in with your body. What do I need? Am I hungry? Do I need to go to the bathroom? Do I need to move my body? Am I thirsty? What's happening emotionally? Like having these checkpoints throughout Mm -hmm. the day, having a mindset of turning inward and checking in. And then there's the macro And then what you're, in terms of what is the bigger structure of my life, and then what you're pointing to is what happens when the macro doesn't support the micro, Mm -hmm. right? Because the pace is, and the demands, the expectations are, it's unsustainable. They're so vast that it eclipses our ability to even check in on the micro. And I think that's where the systemic piece comes in around even things like a mother who's working and has three children and 
as having a very difficult time getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. And someone says, well, you really need to sleep more. And she's like, yeah, no shit. You know, like, (laughs) like, please tell me how to do that given the demands on my life. Yep. Right. Or a single mother who's working with three children and can't get to the dishes every night. So there are ways in which, many, many ways in which our culture does not support effortless self-care does not support the even the basic level of self-care. And then what we're left with is a lot of guilt. And so even for you, who's not a single mom with three kids, who's in a relationship, but no children, right? No other humans that you are responsible for. In the structure that you were in, it was very, very challenging, if not impossible, to do the basics of moving your body, getting enough sleep, making food for yourself. Mm -hmm. So you had it within your power and your control to make changes. I think it's worth saying maybe not everybody does. No. Right? So then we're in also a conversation around privilege and some people having the ability to make changes that might support more self-care, but some people not. Mm -hmm. Just simply in reality, not having that ability, right? To just go out and get a different job or go part-time or go back to school or whatever it is. So. That would be a whole other conversation, but I just think it's important to name that piece and then to come back to, okay, whatever is in your control, we can try to make those changes, but then to keep recognizing the ways in which if we are not creating habits um, that are nourishing to us, body, heart, mind, and soul, And I think to me, that's what self-care means. It means taking care of ourselves, right? Self-care is taking care of ourselves. And we, I think in general, find that very difficult for a variety of reasons. And that's what I think is interesting to name and validate so that if you are listening and you struggle with self-care, that you can soften whatever voices of guilt come in to say, but I know exactly what to do. Why can't I just do it? And I hear that all the time in my clients. Yeah. I know what to do. Why can't I just do it? Okay, let's explore that. What are all the factors, internal and external, that prevent us from living into what might be possible for us in terms of taking care of ourselves in ways that are nourishing, that are life-affirming, that are self-affirming, that are other-affirming. Do you want me to name all the ways? (laughs) (laughs) It it wasn't a test. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what comes to mind for you. you know, I think the one that that often comes up in my work when I'm working with clients that I don't think is often named is um, the piece around we live into the habits. So, okay, let me back up a moment. I think there's the moment by moment incremental micro moments that you were talking about. Let me tune in to see what's what I might be needing right now and how I might be able to support that. Um, But then there's also the conversation around habits, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And what it means to have healthy habits and the benefit of healthy habits and also the huge challenge that a lot of people have in terms of establishing healthy habits, right? Actions around self-care that are just built in, like the one that we've used and we've chuckled about is flossing. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that's just a given. 
I, I, I wouldn't be able to go to sleep if I hadn't floss. I mean, I would, but it would feel like something's really like hmm. not right in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and that is because I was taught to floss pretty early in my life. And I think even more than the explicit instruction, I have visual memory of both my parents flossing their teeth. I can see them doing it. And that got passed down. I don't know that anyone ever said to me, you have to floss. I mean, I'm sure my dentist did. But it was just what you did. Right? So... Whatever we grow up observing or not observing, and this isn't to blame anyone's parents because, of course, it's all just passed down or not passed down. It's nobody's fault. If you happen to get lucky and you grew up in an environment where you saw somebody flossing or you saw somebody exercising or you saw somebody going to the grocery store on a regular day and menu planning you are going to be much more likely to receive that and absorb that by osmosis so that you then live into that as an adult. If you didn't see that, which I think most people don't see the whole wide span spectrum of self-care from the physical to the emotional to the spiritual to the intellectual, if you don't grow up in an environment where your caregivers are modeling true self-care, it's going to be very much more difficult for you, most likely. And so I say that to bring, again, the self-compassion because the guilt is so loud, especially in today's culture where we have all the information. Why can't I just do it? I know that I should be whatever it is, having a green drink every day. Although <laughs> then there's <laughs> conflicting information. I mean, so yeah. right. Victoria and I just watched the very funny reel on Instagram where this guy's like, okay, I'm gonna. You should describe. You'll do a better job. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's about to eat his eggs for breakfast and he's holding his phone and it cuts to like on his phone. He sees a TikTok of someone talking about why egg, you should never eat eggs and they're so bad for you. And then he's like, okay, I'll just like eat a green smoothie. And then another TikTok that's like green smoothies are going to kill you. And then it's like, all right, how about just vegetables? And then another There's the oatmeal. Yeah, yeah. The oatmeal. Oatmeal. Like, oatmeal. Oats are for horses, horses for horses. not for so people. Funny. Yeah. So basically it's just, and it just continues like that. Like every time he's just, he's trying to like drink water and there's a TikTok about why you shouldn't drink water. So yeah, it's, I have found that particularly throughout my twenties, I found that almost paralyzing at times, mm. all of the information about, especially if you are a perfectionist and if you mm. have anxiety about health and, you know, trying to get everything right. Um, oh my gosh, the amount of information and conflicting information yes. and like fear around all of it yes. is yes. maddening. Oh. It's maddening, it's damaging, it's confusing. And right, especially if you haven't established enough of your own selfhood, your self-trust. Um, because on one level, because it's so ridiculous at this point, you can find <laughs> yeah. conflicting information about literally everything. Then it kind of like levels the playing field. And we come back to what works for my body. Yeah. That is the only metric that is reliable. What works for, I mean, it's so funny the thing with eggs in that reel because, and I texted Victoria, well, I guess I'm headed for the deathbed because I've literally been eating eggs every single day since I was 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel pretty good about it. So, you know, my body likes eggs. And other people's bodies might not like eggs. That is fine. So 
when there's so much conflicting information, we have to toss it all away or a lot of it. We have to say, okay, really, truly, let me tune in to what works and feels nourishing for my body, heart, mind, soul. Same thing with things like meditating. Yeah. Right? Meditating is not for everyone. I personally derive a lot of benefit from meditating. I have worked with a lot of clients, and now I think there's more information out there that says if you have a trauma history, meditating can be reactivating. It can be re-traumatizing, right, to close your eyes, to go into that space. So that's a good use of dissemination of information when we get information like that. But I think it's true Pretty much across the board, whatever we're talking about, does it work for you? Does it feel life-affirming once you get past the resistance? Like you said about, oh, I should be getting up at the crack of dawn and going running. Well, if I got up at the crack of first of all... <laughs> I don't actually even <laughs> consider that anymore, but you know what I, that's the fantasy right. image. The that. fantasy version. <laughs> I can't run. Same. Right? <laughs> I cannot run. I wish I could. I mean, I live in Boulder where like every other, I mean, you see like 80-year-old women out there like yeah. running the Ironman. I'm like, well, you go, girl. But that is not my body. I can't, that's not the movement that my body likes. So I find the movement that my body does like, right? And then I do it as much as possible. Where are you at, Victoria? What's stirring? I think what you named around modeling is really important, both in our family systems and also at school, in work environments. Like I've Mm. worked in the nonprofit field and I worked, you know, kind of in education at a community college um, so nonprofits and education are like very notorious for having a very kind of like martyr-like approach of yes. you should do this for the mission and you should give everything. And if you really care, if you really care about students, if you really care about your community, you will just give and give and give. Mm. And I'm not even like a community organizer or activist, you know, like I, I wouldn't say that I have been in the trenches with that at all. But, you know, I get the runoff um, and just for people in general, I just think those different communities and systems and cultures, we can also start to internalize the messages. And that's where I think it's it's like there's definitely the systems, like the healthcare mm-hmm. system and like, you know, um, what sort of resources you do and don't have. I think money is huge. <laughs> But yes. it's not it's not everything because we know that some people um find ways to reclaim the power of of rest or the power of care by also uprooting whatever they've internalized about mm. about the guilt and the shame associated with you know um, taking care of yourself. And so, you know, actually in my counseling program, every class I've been in so far, the professor has incorporated some aspect of addressing self-care and saying, asking us to think about how we're going to take care of ourselves that semester, setting like a little small goal, checking in with each other on it. And, My professor said just like two weeks ago, she said, you know, if as a counselor, if you're not taking care of yourself, Mm. your clients will be able to feel it. Mm. And they might even like blame themselves or internalize it in some way. Mm. And I just thought that was fascinating. Something 
is coming to mind for me, and I think it's around the longing for especially highly sensitive people prone to anxiety for the answers and for the formula. Mm-hmm. And if only we could have, just tell me exactly what to eat yes. and exactly how much sleep and exactly when to rest and exactly what to, how to exercise and when and how much, then I'll be getting it right. Yep. And then I'll be getting an A plus and a gold star in self-care. And then it will all be okay. And then it will all be okay. (laughs) Everything will be okay. I'll have figured it out. I'll have the answers. And it's not like that, of course, because we are all wired so differently. And what's coming to mind is this conversation around rest, and which I think is – of course, such a critical conversation. And, you know, Trisha Hersey's work and Rest is Resistance, it's so deep and impactful and revolutionary. And when I was taking my sort of self-imposed sabbatical year of not creating anything new after my 50th birthday, I really needed that. That was me tuning in to say, any free moment I have, I need to be lying on the couch or on the ground or on the earth doing nothing, just in being. I need this time of being. But as I've indicated in the episode that I did by myself on, um, I can't remember what I called it, but how there's, there's, a new, there's another way. There's another way which I very much believe there is another way, but I think that the other way is not, again, we have to be careful around believing that there's some kind of formula for another way. Yes. Because now that I have restored, I feel a resurgence of energy to create. And what's interesting is that as I'm creating and creating and thinking about what I want to create and having all of these ideas, there is some kind of counter voice in my head now that says, creating is bad. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Creating is bad. Generating is bad. Like somehow I'm now, you know, um, complying with the system. Yeah. But it all comes down to what is the intention So if we're trying to meet the system, then we're coming from that place of the good girl, the good person, trying to get it right. But that's not where it's coming from for me. Right. Right? It's coming from a genuine joy in creating and making offerings and the 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 high like the the true joy that i feel from that internally derived place but it's been very interesting yes to hear that voice of some kind of guilt or like <laughs> i'm doing it wrong mm-hmm. it's really refreshing to hear you talk about like you know that's not what this looks like for me right now mm-hmm. you know um, right now right now cuz it's going right. to keep changing it's going to keep changing. It was completely different last year at this time. It was completely different six months ago. It might be different a month from now. This is what it looks like and feels like right now. This is me listening and charting the path based on the listening to my body. I'm so glad you brought this up because I actually... I often think about the fact that, like, left to my own devices, I am much more likely to, like, sit on the couch and watch eight episodes of Heartland on Netflix and, like, be, you know, and and I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily, like, fully, truly resting because... I'm probably feeling like guilt and maybe anxiety and maybe I'm not fully in a relaxed state. But Mm -hmm. self-care for me often looks more like, you know, remembering 
and finding ways to scaffold myself so that I can go out into the world more and Mm -hmm. go for a hike, go to school, connect with a friend, um, move my body more like, and then I can rest because I've actually like gone out there and, and used some energy and moved my body. And, um, so it's not for me, like, it's not necessarily about rest a lot of the time mm-hmm. necessarily it's so much more than that it's like you're saying it's like finding different proportions at different times in our lives mm-hmm. of what we feel like we need and and like we're saying yes. like that is totally dependent upon you as an individual what your circumstances are what you need at that yes. moment yes and i was thinking about this because You know, our former president, Jimmy Carter, is 98 years old, and Mm. I think he just just went into hospice care the other day, but I was Mm. listening to a podcast about him and his life, and, you know, someone was describing him as like a workhorse, like he was a a poor peanut farmer, and then he, like as president, he would sit and read memos for like 12 hours a day, And, and I was like, but he has been very active up until yes. the age of 98 years old. Like, yes. and, ha- and I don't, obviously I don't know the man. I don't know anything about his mm-hmm. life necessarily, but I don't know. I just think it's like, it's an oversimplification to, to say that there is any prescription of how much time you should spend like yes. working towards what you feel really purposeful and driven around and like what gives you energy in life and mm-hmm. how much time you should spend at rest. And um, I think what's also really fascinating is just like Trisha Hersey's work, like you just mentioned with the NAP ministry, you know, she gets kind of decontextualized a lot, but she is a black woman who worked as a community organizer who talks a lot about the fact that, you know, for African-Americans in this country whose ancestors were slaves, like that is the ultimate, ultimate, most Mm. brutal dehumanizing form of Mm. grinding people into the ground, treating their bodies like they are not human bodies and making them Mm -hmm. work until, Mm -hmm. okay, well, when you're, when you're done, there's another body to take your place. Yes. So she's coming from this very specific context and perspective and pulling on the work of like Audre Lorde and other black um, Mm -hmm. and queer activists in the 70s and 80s who started using the term self-care again because like Audre Lorde said, self-care is self-preservation and it's like Mm. warfare, she said. (laughs) And so Mm. like there's a very specific history and context and then that has gotten twisted and distilled into like okay white women so go buy this at target and rest you know what i mean yeah yes So for me, so much of it, as always, comes down to our relationships to our bodies. Um, I think even what you just were talking about with Trisha Hersey's work and and the dehumanization of the human body to view it as replaceable as it was viewed in slavery and to some degree the commodification still in the capitalist system that we are replaceable, we are Right. So that's a hugely important piece of the conversation. And then on the individual level, especially for those of us prone to anxiety, highly sensitives who live up in our heads a lot, how easy it is to lose touch with where is my body? What does it need? How am I overriding it? And also, if there's any history of trauma or abuse that we are then trained to override, like we talked about in 
the sexual sovereignty episode. Right? There's so many facets. So I, I think the thing about self-care and why it feels kind of like a cringy term to both of us <laughs> is because it's so complex. Yeah. Yes. There's so many layers and the term has been cheapened and in a way commodified to for us to believe it's just this thing that you buy or you do and and it's a one, two, three simple formula. And it is not that at all. Even for me, like what I was describing before of like what my schedule looked like by the end of 2021 of mm. working a nine to five and then also doing freelance work. And mm. I also chose that for a reason. And I knew going into it that it was going to be too much, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I chose it because I wanted to go deeper with podcasting. I wanted to get certain experience and take care of this desire to like bring some energy back into my life around feeling like intellectually stimulated and creative, which is also mm-hmm. a need. And yes. and to bring myself more financial resources because I wanted to go to graduate school and I wanted to be able to afford to just sign up for one class. Mm. And I needed, you know, I, it took me several years from the time I first went to info sessions around the state. It took me probably five or six years and doing that extra work to save up and kind of get myself into a different situation. And so something that I think also isn't often talked about is like oftentimes to try to shore up your self-care in one area, Mm -hmm. it often requires sacrifice in another area because Mm. of the systems that we live in. Yes. It shouldn't be that way. I wish there were, there was another way. Um, but we shouldn't feel shame about that because that is just like the system working the way it was designed to, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not our own personal failing, but I think something we just don't talk about is like, okay, like how do I make these choices um, because something's probably going to give in one area for me to try to build in another area? And yes. Yeah. Yes. And the financial piece is a significant part of self-care, taking care of ourselves. Yeah. That I think we receive very little instruction in. Yeah. How to actually take care of ourselves financially. And I hear again a lot of people feeling guilt, shame about their financial situation. I should have it figured out by now. But it's so often not a personal failure, it's a failure of our systems, parenting, education. Why don't we all have more classes in school on financial health? And what does that actually look like? And like, not just how do you balance your checking account? Right. Right. But way beyond that. You know, we're just left stumbling around by ourselves. It took me decades to feel like I had my footing financially. And I still don't. Even like if I if I talk to my CPA, I have no idea what language they're speaking. Yeah. You know, when they're talking about, well, we need this this contribution. I'm like, what are you talking? I have no idea what you're telling yeah. me. And I always feel stupid. I'm like, am I the only one no. who does not understand the language of an accountant? No. And then, I mean, when you just think about, oh, it's such a complicated conversation, but just what you are born into, like what resources you do or don't have, I mean, the cycles, the cycle, it's often so cyclical, things like poverty, things like, you know, debt. I mean, I have a friend who has medical debt, you know, like Mm. had medical debt from a really young age. And Mm. Um, it's just, uh, you know, if you, if you had to pay for college for yourself with student loans, if you, 
I don't know, like women are often encouraged to go into fields like like teaching and nonprofits and then nursing and nursing and 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 those are the fields that are often really underpaid, right? And so it's and just And overworked. Yeah. Yes, overworked and underpaid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and and even the messages we get about money, like it took me years to even to feel like it was okay to consider financial wellness as part of wellness. Yes. And to and to say like no, I actually don't want to work for nothing and be scared all of the time that if one bad thing happens, like I don't know what's going to happen to me. You know, like it's just Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so I'm just feeling like as we wind down that I want to give anybody listening a big, compassionate um, validation bath that if you are struggling in any area of taking care of yourself, physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, with friendship, with finances, um, that number one, you know that you're not alone. This is the reminder that you are not alone. Number two, that it's not your fault. And that's not to say that we don't have personal responsibility. Of course we do. But there are so many other layers that are sitting on top of the piece around our own personal responsibility that are just important to name. And that's part of how we take personal responsibility is to explore, okay, what are all the other factors and variables that are making it more difficult for me to take loving care of myself as an adult, right? Um, And to just be very gentle with yourself around this conversation around self-care and to know that the messages that we're receiving, a lot of them are not helpful, are confusing, um, end up creating more guilt. And as I said to Victoria before we started recording, Guilt and, or maybe I said it here, guilt and self-care are not compatible. Mm. If you are living in guilt, you are, by the very definition of guilt, you are hijacking your self-care. And so to examine lovingly and gently any places where you are carrying guilt around self-care and to start, start there and to be cur- with curiosity, to be curious about, huh, I am struggling in this area. Take one area, or like Victoria is saying, that one area might very well be connected to two or three other areas, but to start with the one and shine a light of curiosity on it with why you're holding it with compassion and see what you discover. Cheryl, I have like eight things. <laughs> well, can you say some of them? <laughs> Do we still it. have okay. some time? Okay, okay. Yes. Something came to my mind. It was a moment I had with Martin a few months ago. Um, there have been times in the past where when I was like, you know, just working so much and just didn't have any energy for anything else. And honestly, also I struggled with like depression Um, Mm -hmm. and Martin was going on a trip and he was like, now don't forget to feed yourself because when I'm not here, you know, (laughs) I like, I'm not going to be making dinner. And I was like, I always feed myself. I might order takeout, but Mm -hmm. that means I fed myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was just important for me to say for myself, Mm -hmm. it might not be ideal. It might not be the pattern I want to continue forever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I am taking care of myself. I'm doing the best that I can. And I did meet that need. I, I, you know, and I, I just feel like it's important not to get so bogged down in how imperfectly we're doing it or how much guilt we Mm. feel about how we're doing it that we forget that like, actually I am taking care of myself and like, thank you self for doing your best that you can. Mm, 
So for what that's worth. Mm, It's beautiful. I wanted to put that out there. It's beautiful. It's worth a lot. One might say gold. (laughs) (laughs) Because there it is right there. That's the self-compassion. And that's the antidote to the perfectionist that so many of us live with that says the self-care has to look this one way and it has to be home-cooked food. Exactly. It has to be this kind of food. And so for you to pipe up in that moment, that was that was also self-care, the voicing it, the naming it in and of itself to say, I do feed myself. It might not be, you know, the pattern I want to continue, but I do feed myself and I'm doing the best I can right now. And I think it's that shedding of like the shame that actually made me feel just getting more into that mindset and also the mindset the mindset we talked about in the anticipatory anxiety episode where I talked about going to the dentist and saying like, you deserve care, Victoria. Like saying to myself, like you deserve to have your teeth taken care of. Yes. And drawing upon inspiration from other people who I see taking care of themselves. Um, and that led me to, to, you know, when I decided to, reduce some work hours and, you know, only take two classes this semester because I knew what was manageable for me, not Mm -hmm. for my fantasy self, not for someone else who's, you know, all of their circumstances, I will never be able to fully know Mm -hmm. or understand. But I was able to say, no, this is what I need. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. I think we need to talk about this more in a bonus episode, potentially. I think so, too. And (laughs) I think I'm so curious to hear more about your self-care, and I would love to share more about what it actually looks like these days and how it's evolved and shifted and changed. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would love to hear that. To be continued. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. Victoria.